0: This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Clocks and Colors. That is handcrafted men's jewelry. They have pendants, chains, rings, bracelets, and apparel. You can check them out at their website at www.clocksandcolors.com. Clocks and C-O-L-O-U-R-S dot com. Just opened up as their sister company called Eta Love. That is E-T-A-H-L-O-V-E. This is Clocks and Colors for women. They have pendants, rings, bracelets earrings and you can check them out at www.etalove.com e-t-a-h-l-o-v-e.com the second sponsor of the podcast this evening is manscape get yourself a precise trim proper manscaping requires precision engineered tools not only does a man's sensitive areas require it but both hygiene and ergonomics demand it out now is the lawnmower 4.0 this is a top quality shaver it features an LED spotlight with on-off switch so you can see and you're not going in blind. It is running at 7,000 RPMs. It is waterproof. It has a wireless charger. Tonight, I want to help you guys. Right now, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the discount code OSIRIS20. That's osiris I S two zero at www.manscaped.com. M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com. Let's get into it. yes hello everyone welcome back to the infinite mind podcast this is episode 14 i'm glad you're back this week my beard didn't make it back this week as you can see i was assaulted at a barbershop shop yesterday it is my fault for sure i'm like one of those guys that like i wake up and i'll look in the mirror i'm like beard looks good today cool cool sounds good feels good well then uh one day i'll wake up the next day where probably nothing's really changed at the end of it but uh I wake up and all of a sudden the beard's bothering me. I feel like it's crawling down my neck. It's just driving me fucking mad. So I go, okay, now I need to cut. But no, I need to cut today because I just seem to not have that much patience when it starts to drive me crazy. Well, here's the problem, though. I have this great barber, Lindsay Zanker. She's in Dallas. You can you can Google her. Anyways, she's talented. So she's booked out in advance, as she should be. Well, my impatient ass said, you know, I don't want to wait X amount of days. I'm going to just go somewhere new. I live downtown Dallas now. There's barbershops everywhere. So I found a spot. Um, I go there, talk to the guy. He gives me a little trim. And uh, as usual, so listen, every time I go to the barbershop, they're always complimenting my beard. And that's awesome. I'm stoked on that. Cool. Well, they never want to take enough off. I go in there. I'm like, cut half off, please. Well, then they cut like less than a quarter off. And then they go, how's that look? And I go, do it again, please. Well, then they do that again, and we're still not even halfway off, but I just, at this point, it's been an hour, and I say, fuck it, and I leave. Well, this time, same thing happens. Guy cuts just a little bit off, and then I he goes, how's it look? I'm like, can you just, listen, man, don't worry about cutting too much off. I'm like, I'm not that guy who's going to freak out. If you do, uh, it's all good. Just, uh, yeah, take a little more off, please. Well, he sure fucking did, and I about had a heart attack when I looked. It's funny. I was like in this angle backwards, and he wasn't facing me towards the mirror the whole time. And all of a sudden, at the end, he goes, how are we doing? I'm like, holy shit. So that happened. Yeah, that was fun. It's like, I don't mind when it's short. It actually feels nice. My wife actually likes it better. But it's like when the line goes down, now I have to like grow it out, but up a little bit. I don't know. It drives me crazy. But that's what I get for being an impatient guy and just not waiting or maybe booking in advance. I know I need to do it every couple of weeks. Just maybe just book it every couple of weeks. But, you know, I didn't. And there we go, that's that. Uh, What else is going on? Listen, uh, Born of Osiris, Angel or Alien, July 2nd. It's coming out, we've been talking about it. Um, We have CDs, vinyls, two of the four vinyl variants we released are already sold out, but there's actually my favorite one still left. There's two still left, uh, one of which is my favorite. Um, And that all comes out July 2nd, but you can get it all at www.bornofosiris.com. So you can get t-shirts, sweaters, mugs, I think we have a skateboard deck, um just a lot of cool shit you can bundle it in with your album purchase all this means a lot helps a lot we have obviously bands aren't touring we haven't done shit in over a year as far as you know making some money so all this stuff helps and don't just support us support any bands you know that you like or see because there's a good chance that uh you know it's been a rough year on them you know um that being said i think now that uh the world's feeling a little more safe with the covid shit we're booking some shows so i can tell you texas look out I can also say possible Midwest, look out. Um, and I think you know we're trying to do something in um, in Europe in UK that was booked actually last March was when the tour was supposed to be. And as you know, the world died for a year, a little over a year, um, and so that didn't happen. Right now, we're aiming to do it uh, in the winter time, so that would be awesome. Born Osiris coming, and actually that'll be uh, that'll also usually we put the tour dates on bornosiris com too, so new uh new album and coming you know soon tour dates all at www.bornofosiris.com uh a cool thing happened also in the last week um i got a test press for my second solo album vinyl that's super exciting for me oddly enough i've never had a test press of any vinyl of mine that's ever come out so i'm actually really excited um it's cool to see it show up with like the company name on it. It just says your your album title in the corner and it says uh it's just black and white blank. Um gave it a listen. It's all going good there. So yeah, we're going to be hopefully talking about my solo album coming out uh well, it's going to come out in the fall. I th- you know, I think it's pretty safe to say that at this point. Um uh, but you know, hopefully we can announce it soon and hopefully the vinyl will be ready. You know, if it isn't, it's just because vinyl shipping and pressing has just been suffering because of COVID. I'm not really sure why or the details, but it's just been an issue to print vinyl um, through through the pandemic. So ideal situation would be that when my solo album announcement drops, that you'll be able to get the vinyl at the same time, if not then, shortly after. Let's get into some questions, huh? All right. Question one, how would you go about finding people to make music with in this day and age? I think that the best way, and this is something that uh, I didn't have when I was younger, so would just be the internet. You know, uh, Instagram is probably the number one. Like if I was trying to find it, I would maybe search hashtags of like, you know, if I'm looking for an awesome bass player, maybe search like bass player. Maybe you want some more technical player. You may search like five string bass, see what pops up you want a guitar player, search some guitar hashtags, um, maybe search like seven string guitar or extended range or whatever it is. And you might find some cool things that way. Um, you know, obviously the, the pages that you probably follow right now, you probably follow them because you like what they do, meaning they might already have something, but I think maybe through hashtags or, um, you know, just, just Instagram in general, I think you will be able to find, you know, some people to jam with maybe, uh, uh, Twitter as well. You know, it's not as easy. There are the hashtags on Twitter, but it's generally text related. I still put video kind of stuff up on there. But, you know, my best guess would be um, Instagram. You know, for Born with Cyrus, it was all of us were in high school, um, different high schools. And it was um, basically like who, like you looked at the local bands in the area. And this is still something you could do now. If we look at the local bands in the area and, and we we knew them and we'd play shows with them. And so we kind of just fed off our local scene. Like th- there was three different local bands in our high school that ended up becoming uh, Rose is what we were called and um, morphing into Born of Osiris. So yeah, l- local. Um, and then I would say Instagram, maybe Twitter, maybe, you know, your TikTok, whatever. I don't really know shit about TikTok, but um, I think social media is going to be your friend with that one. Question two, what were you like in high school? I would say I was a bit of a... Terror, maybe. You know, it depends. If I could, like, I kind of had to have my way for sure, as a selfish high school kid. Basically, like, if I was at band practice playing guitar, I was happy. But if I wanted to, like, uh, you know, stay out late, you know, maybe the parents wanted me home in my curfew time, whatever that might have been, uh, then I could have been harder to deal with. Also, I used to like sneak vodka into school and in water bottles, and fucking, I kind of partied a little hard. I think Buenos Aires' reputation of partying definitely came through high school and into the first years of our touring experience but we were going hard in high school um something I totally recommend to be honest like I wish I knew in school that knowledge is fucking cool because I think at the time I was just like well fuck this I just want to do other things but like if I ever talk to young kids or people in my family I'm like man being smart is fucking cool so try um and you know there's a lot of useless information you learn in school and I, I, I'll be honest like I do think that the school system isn't right I think it's we're creating cookie-cutter human beings. We're not uh, emphasizing people's strengths. Um, but listen, that's not my profession. Do I have a, a recommendation? No. Uh, obviously, you know, I know teachers, and um, they probably don't want my opinion. But uh, I do think it's a bullshit kind of you know, current system right now because you're just forcing everyone to be the same damn thing. Um, I think it's more about following rules and behavior than anything. But yeah, still, I would go back and learn that math that I might never use and learn that science that you might never use because it's just fucking cool, man. At the end of the day, I think knowledge is pretty sweet. Um, I would like to see some sort of school system revamped into, um, you know, teaching more about finances, teaching more about uh, just things that you'll deal with in the real world and, and less just like shit that you're not going to deal with, um, you know, and, and emphasize people's uh, artistic qualities and their strengths. And I, I just wish it was more based on making the best out of each person. Um, but again, I'm sure it's easier said than done when them Kemper profiles coming out man I've been working on them for like a week now maybe two uh the issue that I'm having is like originally so I'm clueless when I open the Kemper up for the first time so originally like there's a preset on there I, I flip through my it's my buddy's Kemper Flip through a few presets and now I start digging in right just tweaking right what I didn't know, like, and I made like four or five groups of presets. So like maybe if I make a rhythm preset with like a 5150, then I'll do like a, a lead with that. And then I'll do a low gain and then like a clean, right? And then I'll move on. That's like group one. So I made like four groups of this. And then I realized like the starting point used like someone else's 5150. It wasn't like the 5150 that came in the Kemper. It was like, uh, you know, someone else's fucking whatever, capture so it's a, their, their name under the author thing. And I didn't know that cause I was clueless. So I'm, I realized I had built a lot of off of initial groundwork that was somebody else's like cab or head or whatever it was. So I'm like, Oh God. And then I like had a hard time finding anything in the Kemper that wasn't like had an author on it already. So, you know, basically I'm trying to figure out how to release this thing. It might not be something I can sell, but listen, it will come. Um, It just because due to like some things maybe not being solely created by me and again by accident, um, it's a road that I don't necessarily want to go down as far as start selling shit that, uh, you know, someone else has their name on their hard work put into. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. I have a lot of awesome tones made, but I'm just kind of caught up in the moment of, you know, how do I release this thing uh, respectfully and proper where I'm not trying to make money off of other people's hard work, if you feel me. So, you know, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. <clears throat> would boo ever consider doing a latin american tour or so absolutely would love to love to hit everywhere you know i i've been saying it uh you know in interviews recently leading up to the release of our new album i i don't realize you know and let me say this it has nothing to do with latin america it could be like a, a situation like russia for example you usually go there and there's only two shows to play so for, you'll uh you'll fly forever. You'll play a show. Then you'll take a train forever, play another show, come back. Maybe the money's not that good. Um, so hear me out here. The thing was that I was doing before is I was thinking a lot about that. Like, is that worth the time? Is that worth the money? What I realized is like, I had the wrong attitude about it the whole time. Like, cause now you took me out of this for a year and a half because of COVID the pandemic. And now I'm like, shit. Like I just realized how much I took for granted when it comes to show opportunities, when it comes to, um, you know, just really anything in general. Like, I I just realized that, like, you know, maybe the first few months of COVID, I was like, okay, cool. I'm sitting at home, enjoying it, spending time at home with my my wife and my my dogs and just getting good quality time. And excuse me. And then, you know, real quick, I started to realize like how much for granted I took everything. So to answer your question about Latin America, absolutely consider coming there, but also want to go back to Russia. And I want to go back to the places that we've previously might have, uh, Passed due to money or due to um, travel times or or whatever else. So yeah, trying to, you know, really focus on other countries, you know, um, that being said, I don't know, you know, I'm hearing things about these, these COVID passports and, you you know, other countries not allowing Americans in or blah, blah, blah. So you know, there will be things that are out of our control, maybe at least for the next year, still potentially six months, hopefully, I mean, I wish it was all done. But um, yeah, We'll be back and we'll be doing lots of things in other countries. How did you develop your love of watches? My love of watches. So to be honest, it was funny enough, it was a guitar player, John Mayer. Um, He put out a video uh, with a company called Hodinkee. And they're just like a watch publication, blog, website, social media presence in the watch world. They'll do, they're starting to have runs with companies, so I actually think they have products now. But when, I, when it first came out, there was one video um, called Talking Watches with John Mayer. Um, since then, it's grown into a big thing on YouTube. You can search Talking Watches. Uh, I recommend watching Talking Watches 1 and 2 with John Mayer. Uh, the first one, period, is John Mayer. The second one is, down the line, they've created more videos, but it's John Mayer again. It's not the first two, but you know, there's two of John sorry to say that like a buffoon, but, um, yeah. So basically it's just John Mayer and he's talking about his favorite watches. He talks about what watches mean to him. You know, it's not just a fashion statement. It's not just, um, look how much money I can spend on a piece of jewelry. None of that. Um, you develop a personal relationship with the watch. At one point, he says something like, man, this watch is the only thing I had after flying 24 hours and getting a shitty hotel with like only, only hot water, or only cold water. And like, I'm a dead tired and And there's no food to eat and I just set my watch down next to me and that's all I have. And you form a bond with it. It might sound cheesy or like um, this watch is the watch I had on the first time I did this or during this moment of my life or a lot of people buy watches to celebrate moments of their life. For example, my second solo album that's coming out this year um, is the first one that I actually recorded, mixed and mastered completely, completely, completely zero help outside. I've gotten a lot more involved in the new Born Osiris releases. Um, but I haven't mixed a Born with Osiris release. Now I'm like, this is my first stepping stone, second record, solo album, mix mastered, everything. So I bought a watch to commemorate that. Um and so they're you know, they're they're not like money pieces. And, and and by the way, there's like some some cool little watches that I have, like some of the ones from like high school that you buy, they're like fifteen bucks on Amazon, but they were so cool back in high school. I actually have a couple little Casios. Um so, again, it's not about money, but um, it's just about if you like it, if it looks cool to you, if it means something to you, if you develop memories with it. But, yeah, my love for watches came out of Hodinky on YouTube, the Talking Watches series, uh, particularly the ones with John Mayer. I've watched them all now, but um, those are my favorites. <laughs> so, last week we did a hot Hot Dog Fingers and Toes. Looks like they're back. All right. Would you rather sleep in a room filled with creepy dolls or be packed in a bus with creepy clowns? So for me, this one's actually easy. I have no, I mean, not a ton of questions for this one, like the hot dog shit. For me, I want to sleep in a room filled with creepy dolls because I don't believe they're going to come to life. I'm not scared of that. You throw me a bus packed with creepy clowns. Now I'm looking at these people like, am i going to have to knock one of these fuckers out. Do they like me? Do they not like me? I'm fucking now. Now it's People. And people are scary, not dolls. So I'm going to have to say, put me in a room filled with creepy dolls. I might use a couple as a pillow. But you put me in a bus full of creepy clowns, I'm on guard. What was the breakthrough moment for you in songwriting and is still something you fall back to? Um, As far as that question, I don't know about the second part of it, but the breakthrough moment for me in songwriting was when I wrote a song called... um, exist on our second so our born with Cyrus record and that was just the first time that I felt like I really knew what I was doing in a DAW you know um, obviously tons of songs before that but that was like the first one that I really like beginning to end um, by myself in a program did all the instruments and just felt like I knew what I was doing you know up until that point there was a lot of like questions you know maybe you guys have worked in a new doll before and you feel like you can get by but like if someone threw you a curveball you'd be a little stuck in the mud um that was the first time that i was like all right i got this um that was our second album the song was called exist what hair products do you use for your head and hair you do always look spot on well thank you so over time i want to put less and less in that being said i do have curly hair so I need to put something in there, but I don't put it like I used to put in there. Like I used to use lay right, which is a pretty heavy clay to like get it to lay down. Um, nowadays, with uh, so basically what I'll do, you know, not much of a beard anymore, but I usually just put whatever's in the beard oil, um, put it on my beard, you know, once, twice a day and then rub it in my hair too. And, you know, a lot of times I'm doing the ponytail unless I'm like put effort into like straightening it again because my hair is curly, but to be honest, um, what I'm using in my hair is the same as what I'm using in my beard. And it's not even really like a a gel. It's more of just of some sort of thing to kind of like help the hair lay straight. Um, so it's just a beard oil. Um, I will say this, it's not like a real liquidy one. It's more of, um, oh, it's really hard to explain. Um, but it's just my beard oil, get into my beard and then I just wipe it in my hair. Usually just put a ponytail up lately. Um, unless I'm, again, off to straighten it. I think I just released a playthrough. Where I did straighten my hair for uh, White Nile. But yeah, if I let my hair completely, completely go, it is fucking curly and everywhere. So I can't just let it go. <clears throat> Tonal difference versus having a maple neck. Okay, so maple to me, a maple fingerboard, is just uh, like, it's spanky, it's slappy, it's bright. Um and that's kind of what I like lately. Uh, most of the things sometimes my my fretboards will look dark, you might notice that. But they're all for the most part maple fingerboards and that is because Jeff Kiesel, a uh, very forward-thinking mind, obviously I've said it before, one of the brightest in the industry, if not the um he he stains them, he dyes them. So I'm often with the maple fingerboard. I just believe it's bright, snappy, it's it's all the qualities I personally want. I would say you get into other woods, you're going to get some darker, maybe more rounded feeling tones, but that's what Maple feels for me. When did you start training jujitsu and what belt are you? I'm a blue belt. I started training (sighs) jujitsu in particular alone, probably three, four years ago. Um, that being said, like, you know, my, my schedule is, uh, you know, I'm gone. Like, Six months of the year when touring is going on, you know. So I would definitely be, you know, it's it's hard to answer how many years I've been training on each half of each year. I'm not around, you know what I mean. So it's tough. Um, but yeah, I do love jiu-jitsu I recommend it to everyone. Uh, I think it's something that even if you know when you mention martial arts the people, like, hey, you should go train, they're usually like, oh, I don't want to get punched in the face. Like that doesn't sound fun for me. Um, it sounds really scary. Jiu-jitsu, um, well, to be honest, is probably the most vicious because if you don't tap, you're breaking an arm backwards or snapping limbs. It's potentially the most vicious one. However, the actual practicing it, the rolling process, learning it in a school with people is actually quite safe because uh, obviously you tap before anything, before you in any real danger. Um, so I recommend it to anyone that, um, you know, wants to learn how to defend themselves, but maybe is intimidated by the striking, Um, You're going to learn something that's potentially the most useful, potentially the most vicious form of martial arts. Um, And you'll do it relatively safely. Does having drums laid down help with writing riffs? I think my riffs suck because there's no drums. Um, I do think having the capability of drums makes things better. So I've mentioned before, like sometimes I'll just program like a shitty drum beat for like three minutes and I'll freestyle over it for three minutes and again, freestyling. So you gotta imagine it's probably a ton of shit. But I might find like 10 seconds of something that I wouldn't have done if I thought too much. And it'll be over that shitty drum beat. And then I'll erase everything, bring all that to the front, and then I'll make the drum beat actually cool and fit whatever it was that I freestyled on guitar. And now you have something that feels more aggressive and rhythmic and whatever. Um so that kind of helps. I, I just do think it I don't know if they need to be down, laid down. But I think having the capability to bring them in immediately is important. Um, so I, I definitely recommend it. And again, there's some there's programs out there, and a lot of these companies want you to have their product, so they'll work with you. Um, maybe there'll be light versions of things, or maybe you can just uh, maybe you just get the the original drum program, but you don't get all their ex- expansions and things like that. Like there's good ways to get into that shit for a relatively low price. Um, so to answer your question, I can't, I can't tell if I'm answering it particularly, but Having drums available is is crucial, but I'm not sure if they need to be laid down. I often don't start a song with drums, but then there's sometimes where I'll start a song with a shitty drum beat and write shitty guitar parts over it till I find a cool moment. Like I said, I can do it both ways, um, but eventually they need to be brought in. Helps to have them. I would get something if you can. I want to make a hybrid with EDM metal. Tips. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> um, so you know what? I did make electronic music for a while and it was because, you know, i be on long flights and, um, you know, no guitar in hand, but I still wanted to create music. And so I got into electronic music for a while. Um, some of it did decent on the beat, beatport port charts and stuff. I was actually pleasantly surprised and super, um, appreciative of all that. But, um, what I learned is one thing is, uh, there's so much skill. I learned so much about mixing doing that because when you're using these huge synthesizers and fat frequencies, like, um, you try to fit them in a mix you realize that everything has to find its own place and I learned a lot mixing uh electronic that I apply to uh, metal today because you realize that like everything needs to fit in like a lock and key And, and I do a lot more like subtractive eqing um nowadays instead of adding like instead of if I need like more high end instead of just cranking up high end and then um and doing that with everything I need more of something I just keep boosting and boosting and boosting and boosting and then you find out you're running out of space and then your mix sucks Uh, I learned, like, subtractive EQing, like, take the things around the high end that you want to shine, you know, if that makes sense, Um, so I learned a lot, Um, tips, yeah, one of the toughest parts was fitting guitars in, like, my guitars, when I tried to throw guitars into it it would be, like, uh, like, popping, or, like, they would sound like they're farting out or something, um, and so you have to just, the tips for making that is you have to really fucking find where your frequencies need to be in, um, in, in a particular instrument and then remove a lot of the other stuff. So um, you're going to want to make sure, like your guitars might sound thin, soloed, for example, but the only way they're going to fit into that huge electronic mix is, is to not be competing with all the low end in that mix. So you'll have to, you know, I know that when you're soloed, your guitar is solo and there's nothing else playing. You you want that huge guitar tone. You might feel like you need that low end, but the reality is in a mix like that, it's going to get mastered fucking heavy as fuck with a lot of low end. It's best to not even compete. So my guitars and EDM music are often pretty thin sounding. You don't really tell because you're hearing so much huge frequencies in the bass and in the electronic aspects of it. Uh, It'll sound fucking huge in a mix, but it won't sound huge solo. So I'd recommend that. Now, if you're going to be playing a full-on metal part, where there's no sub-bass or electronic huge fucking drums, you can get away with doing your normal thing on guitars, which I still suck out at least 80 and below on rhythm guitars, um, 75 and below on rhythm guitars, at least. Anyways, so what I would say is this. If it's going to be all metal for a part and then all EDM for a part, you don't really have to worry about it as much. Do your thing. But then if you want to put guitars on a fucking huge EDM part, just be very careful about which frequencies that you're feeding in uh, and that you're letting get through into the mix because you'll start competing with things really quickly, particularly in the low end. Biggest fears while on stage. Well, when my anxiety was bad years ago, um, maybe five years ago, I had vertigo attached to it. So like, I always felt like I was like, slipping on ice like every step I took everywhere I walked felt like ice I couldn't ride my motorcycle for a while because um I felt like instead of going forward where you know you come to a stop on a bicycle you have to put your feet down because you're gonna fall to the side forward momentum keeps you like on the bike I had this thing on the Harley where I was like I felt like I was on a treadmill which means the wheels are spinning but I'm not going forward it looked like things were coming at me instead of me driving forward if that makes sense which made me feel like I had no balance so you're asking about stage, yeah. So you know those like ego risers we have at the front of our stage that we stand on those boxes and play, uh, you know, solo guitar parts or wave to the crowd, whatever. Just get taller for a second. Um, those were fucking terrifying to me because I always felt every time I stood on them, stood up on them, that I was going to fall. Um, so I used to have, and you may still see it if it's like really rainy outside, because if I just walk from the bus in the rain onto a stage, it can be slippery. You may see on the floor, like in front of my amp. A, a towel taped to the ground. Well, before I had to have it, even if it was a dry fucking day, <laughs> I would have to like, my anxiety and my vertigo was so bad on stage that like I would have to just be constantly like wiping my shoes on a towel just to make sure they weren't slipping and, and they weren't. Like this is, a like I said, a dry day, no rain, no water on stage, nothing. And then, uh, yeah, I would like very slowly stand up on those boxes and I would also, I would have to make my tech guitar tech would have to make sure that the boxes we perfectly level. <laughs> it sounds silly, I know. But like sometimes a, a one leg of those boxes will be like a little shorter than the other. And if it moves on that corner, I would flip like mentally flip out, I would feel like I'm falling down. So they would have to like put like uh, coasters or things under the leg that was shorter to make sure that my box did not move at all that I was standing on really, really solid ground all the time. And have a towel on stage and make sure there was nothing on my feet that would make me slip. So, yeah, that was me. And, uh, you know, I've, do, I've done better with anxiety. A lot of things that uh, I've learned. And I'll, I'll say this about anxiety if any of you guys are struggling with it. The one thing that I've learned, because I think what you feel when you have anxiety is that, like, your brain isn't on your side. And it's, like, it's against you. And, like, you feel that, like no one can understand how you feel. Um, but what I, I learned is, A, you know, a lot of people have anxiety. So people do understand but B, on the thought of your mind feeling like it's against you, what I learned that really helped me is this. What your mind is, is being overreactive right there, right? It's, it's overreacting to things that don't need it. What it is, it's the, it's the fight or flight response that we've evolutionary, uh, through evolution, like used um, to, to be at the top of the food chain. Uh, this, the best species, like uh, just in general, like in the wild, animals at every level, um, their fight or flight response is what keeps them alive, keeps the species thriving, So basically your mind is overreactive, but it's a good thing. Like it's just, if you can just learn that your it means well in a way Uh, I'm talking about it as if it's like a whole nother entity, but just know that like, if you're, if you're anxious about something, your, your brain's really just trying to help you. It's not trying to hurt you. Okay. So instead of thinking like that, that your brain's against you, your body's just misfiring and, and just nothing feels right. Just understand that like, um, you know, in evolutionary terms, like it would have been a benefit. You know, you would have been the safest one in the jungle because you would have been um, on your toes, right? So that was kind of something that I helped, that I realized helped me. Also, I, I also used it as a, as like a teammate because in the studio when I'm writing something, an overreactive mind is helpful for me. Um, So that's something that like, I'm like, okay, my ba- my brain's freaking me out right now. But um, I'm, I'm also thinking about all these different ways that the song could go. You know what I mean? So if you can just take these, what you feel like a negative, just turn it into like, a, you know, kind of a positive, uh, just realize that your brain's not against you. Realize that you can utilize a busy mind. Utilize that, um, uh, realize that you can utilize the fact that it's not there to hurt you. Um, it might be misfiring. It might be overreacting. But, um, you know, it's not the end of the world. And uh, so, yeah, I feel like maybe anxiety will be a little part of my life, probably forever. to be honest, I think it's actually part of everyone's life. I think that uh, we just have a way of diagnosing things as a fucking problem all the time. And uh, as humans, like, I'm sad sometimes, so a doctor will give you a pill and say you're depressed, or I'm anxious sometimes. So we'll give you a pill and calm that down. And the fact is, is like, anxiety is a part of life. Fear is a part of life. Depression is a part of life. You don't need to take a pill for all this stuff. You know, what, 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 what do people do before these pills? We fucking lived life we got on with things. Um, and, and listen, it's hard. you can't tell that to somebody who's dead center in the middle of a panic attack. It's not as easy as I'm saying, but listen, if you can just understand that your brain is being a little, little busy, it's because it's trying to help you. It's your fight or flight response, just kicking off sometimes where it doesn't need to be. But, uh, you know, in history, that would have been a good thing. It would have kept you at the top of the fucking food chain. And as an artist, as an art artistic express, like expressive kind of way, um, You know, as as using it as an artist to to just see different avenues of where your song could go or where your painting could end up. Um, Just, yeah, use it as a benefit. Um, It's not the end of the world. What's your favorite football club? Um, I don't follow soccer. When you say club, I don't know why I think you're talking soccer. But if you're talking football, it's the Chicago Bears. Um, I grew up in Chicago, as many of you might know just watching the bears with my dad on sundays big big part of uh, growing up for me and a big part of bonding with my dad so yeah bears fan for sure till i die you know i don't get too crazy i'll watch them draft and i'll watch their games when i can but i won't cancel plans to watch uh, but i really hope at one point in my life i can see a chicago bears super bowl win that would be really fucking amazing to me i'd love to do i'd love to be next to my dad when it happens too Because, oh, man, you got to see my dad watching a Bears game. He's up off the couch screaming at the TV. He's fired up. He's like, fuck you, Aaron Rodgers. You know what I mean? Um, It's a blast. And if I could ever see a Bear Super Bowl win with my dad, it would be probably one of the more memorable um, moments in life. As a creative, how do you move past perfection, accepting a product as good enough? Well, I think that... I said it before recently, but I th- I look at songs like kind of as like a diary entry in a way. Or a piece of a moment in time, like a tattoo on my body. Um, would I necessarily get it again the same way tomorrow? No, but I don't have tattoos on my body that I look at and regret and wish weren't there. And I have a couple shitty ones. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, but it's a time and place to me. And so when it comes to a song, yeah, like honestly... There, some of our biggest Buenos Aires songs, I'm sure if you open that session back up, to me, I would change things. But as you can see by the success of some of those songs, it's not necessary. So what I would just say is when you're happy with it, maybe give it a second glance a week later. Maybe sometimes you're actually recording the full album a couple months later. Maybe give it a once over then. But otherwise, like once it's a full song, you don't think any part needs anything else um also here's another thing i recommend when you're writing a part and you're maybe about to move on to the next part ask yourself what makes this special because i think that's a helpful thing like if you can get through a whole song and tell me and and tell yourself or tell me why each part of that song is special i have a feeling it's going to be a good song but instead of using parts or minutes of a song to, to, to go from A to B, that's when you're going to find a little downtime, a little some parts that may not be entertaining. Um, I would say this. Ask yourself at each point, is this special? And if it is, cool. When you have a whole song of, of moments that you feel are special, then I think your song's probably good to go. Any band names y'all thought of before Born of Osiris? Well, I don't think so. We were called Your Heart Engraved. And then we were called Rosecrans, And then we were called Born of Osiris. Now, your heart engraved in Rosecrans. this is like middle school, high school. So even though there are name changes, it's not like we had went through name changes. You know, it's just high school. Um, As far as Born of Osiris, that was that happened at Ash Adelson's house, the owner of Sumerian Records. We he I think he brought to the table the name Osiris. And I think he even had like packets about Osiris. Like check this thing this 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 guy out, guy. Um, you know, I think this is something that we can work off of, and then after we knew we wanted to do something with Osiris, we kind of just went from there, um, you know, <laughs> different different things. I think his mom, Ash has a you know, beautiful, amazing mother, and she was like, "What about the boys of Osiris?" <laughs> so yeah, you can kind of see at that point what we were trying to do was um, work in Osiris somehow. Um, but I don't think at that point in time, there was really any other, uh, grand ideas on the table. I think it was just Osiris and how to apply it. What's your tips for beginners who can't afford guitar courses slash teachers tips? Well, yeah, man, YouTube university is what I call it. And man, it is so special that we live in a time where YouTube is here and, um, You're talking about basically, you know, they're like starting to censor things on YouTube, which is shitty, but that's major. It's mainly like political or like, you know, kind of those kinds of things. That's where you kind of get into like YouTube's issues. But overall, um, guitar that you're going to want to find is going to be there. Man, if you search alternate picking lesson, there's going to be thousands. If you search uh, sweep, sweep picking lesson, there's going to be thousands. Um, if you search, I mean, you can learn theory on YouTube. You don't even need lessons. You can say, I want to learn theory. Type in theory lessons. Um, shit. Uh, gear rundowns. If you want to learn about gear, like, um, yeah, YouTube. YouTube, YouTube. Uh, I have a couple books, like Guitar Grimoire and things like that you can learn. But, man, YouTube is such a useful commodity when it comes to um, learning guitar, and I can't recommend it enough. Do you do private lessons of any kind, guitar, recording, etc.? Uh, You know, I don't really do that. Uh, it's just that I do a lot of music. I do a lot of recording, um, studio work. I have, you know, InMotive, Born of Osiris, my solo career. I do the music for The Relentless in, in Paradise City. Um, and I have a studio that I run full-time which is some of you guys have sent things and I've maybe mixed and mastered or done a guest guitar solo or whatever. So, you know, that's kind of what takes up all my time. And then also I have to be like a human being when my wife gets home at night, I can't be caught up and busy. So like, I like to keep things nine to five, roughly the time that she's doing her thing at work. And then when she gets home, like I try to just give her undivided attention, just be a good partner um, in life. And so, I just feel like my schedule's pretty full. I guess that was a long way of saying I, that I think my schedule's too full. But, um, you know, I would be more interested in giving recording lessons because it's just something that I'm sitting and doing all day. Obviously, guitar lessons are fun, but, um, you know, I've done it before. And, I, you know, sometimes I think about doing it again. There's moments I thought about doing it during the pandemic, you know, not working. I had a little more time on my hands. The My wife's not at work either because of that. Um, and so I thought about it. But um, yeah, I just don't really do it. It's just uh, my plate's pretty full, and I think we have one more question. Yep, one question left. What is your dream car? Well, it's one of two, and they both happen to be from 1969. One is the um, the uh, the Mustang 69 Mustang. There's I, I like multiple versions. I love like the GT 500. I think from um, what's it made famous in a movie. Uh, gone in 60 Seconds, the Shelby GT500, I think. That's potentially my favorite car of all time. Um, And the second one is a 69 Dodge Charger. And uh, yeah, I just love the body style. It's weird, like 68 and 70, like just, they're cool too, but something about the 69. And I think one of those was made famous. And um, I'm not sure it's 69, but the black car that Vin Diesel drives at the End of uh the first fast and furious is a charger i'm not sure if it's 69 looks like it it might be 68 70 i don't know uh, i'm not a car expert but yeah so trying to put movie references to these favorite cars it would be like that gone in 60 seconds or that that fast and furious charger um yeah 69 mustang 69 charger guys thank you again for being here another week i appreciate you guys um small community and I'm glad that, uh, you know, the questions come in, I can get to most of them. I try to keep this under an hour, 45 minutes. Um, you know, I have analytics that show me, you know, where I start to lose you. Um, so I'm just trying to keep it in the sweet spot, um, and answer as many questions as possible. And I just hope you're enjoying it. I hope I'm answering all of your questions. Um, you know, if you could like subscribe, all that stuff helps comments help like algorithms and shit, you know, I don't get too involved in that, do what you want at the end of the day, but, uh, that kind of stuff helps. Um, on Tuesdays, I drop the questions for this podcast on my Instagram, um, or, or uh, a way where you can ask questions. So it's like on Tuesdays, you go on my Instagram, swipe up my story and you'll see, uh, or maybe a picture of a dog or a guitar or whatever. And it just says taking questions for Friday's podcast, type in whatever you want. That's when I answer them. Um, that's what I answer on Fridays here. And I appreciate you guys and I will see you next week. Bye.